regarding our teaching. So for the next month, we're going to revisit a critical, practical, and timely teaching about Christ-centered time management. And I just sort of want to preface this with this. So there are lots of methods in our world today about how to you know, use or spend our time well, how to manage our time. And you know, you've come this morning to a, a Christian church, a church where we are trying to honor Jesus and all we say and do. And so I hope you know that over the course of this next month, the, the primary drive, the primary way we feel that we can most deeply honor Jesus with our time in such a way that we, we make the, mo- the most of every moment in life is going to be by understanding what Jesus says about time, what his word says about time, and really what we say about time to each other. And so I just want to give you that caveat that this is a, an approach to time that is distinctly Christian. There's not, not to say that there aren't parallels here outside of the Christian world or that this isn't applicable to those outside of the Christian world. It certainly can be. But I want us to understand the heart of all that we do in Christianity really is rooted in us having a, a deeper, more robust understanding of who Christ is and, and how we're trying to pursue him. And so the reason we're going to take this four-week hiatus, this is sort of a bridge to get us to a series we'll be launching in March about uh, movement, like how God works in our lives and how we prepare ourselves in such a way that we can invite God to really do meaningful things in our lives. You know, we know scripturally God is with us. If we're in Jesus, he indwells us. But there's something different about just having God in you and having God in you in such a way that, that he's moving in powerful and profound ways. And that's where we're going to be going right around Easter. But to get to that bridge, I felt it important to discuss this key idea, time. Like, how is it that we even get to the place where we make space in our lives for God to work in meaningful ways? How is it we get to this place where we don't live our lives in such a way that we maybe even conquer the world but quench the spirit in the process? And so this was a timely dialogue that, uh, as far as teaching direction goes, was surfaced by you. And this happens a lot where through peers, friends, conversations, congregant dialogue, community group dialogue, these certain themes will emerge in people's life. And what came, became very obvious to me over the past month was uh, a, a shift, you might say, in the transition from the enthusiasm of the New Year's resolution, which we talked about earlier in January, to the reality of what it means to try to live, the struggle, we might even say, of trying to live a meaningful, productive life in a world that often seeks to pull us in a million directions. In other words, we go from New Year ideal to the reality of busyness and life in general. And so today, with this time tension in mind, I want to begin looking at a key teaching Paul gives us to combat this tension. He highlights it as a tension in Ephesians 5, and there are other places in the Bible. So this is not to say that if we are trying to figure out how to, to have a more fruitful life, that this is something bad. What I would say is it's something common, and if it's left unchecked, it could become something bad. That's the nature of why we're teaching this. And so what Paul tells us, sort of in an introductory way, is if you want to get a handle on your time, it, is, it's, it really begins by understanding that you're not meant to be in tow to time, which is sort of where a great many people are today. Time and life sort of makes its way and hands you its rules, and then we follow those rules like a servant to a master. It's a problem. Where when we read scripture, what God tells us about time is time is actually his, first and foremost. And the way we understand time on earth is it's meant to be a tool, much like the rest of our resources, our spiritual gifts, our money, all of these things that God gives us, they're meant to be tools that that serve us as we serve God. And so today we really talk a little bit about a lordship issue, like what is the Lord of life? And if time is the Lord of life, then we are likely going to find that in subtle, subversive, and maybe even in some, some deeply troubling ways, time can, time can become Lord. And in that sense, we serve a treacherous master. 
And so in Ephesians 5, Paul charges us to ask whether or not we are making the most of every opportunity by living in God's wisdom. That's the remedy to this. He gives us this pretty interesting challenge. He says, you know, man, time is is important. Be wise in it and recognize that when we speak of wisdom, the solution to time management, any management issue in life, is not necessarily formulating lists and developing plans and strategies, although those, those, those are important. But they need to be secondary to, to the source of what develops what we put on those papers, what we write in our iPhones or our Android phones, what we, what we notate in our life. Before we talk about direction, what Paul says is we need to consult the one who is the author of direction, our Father in heaven. And the importance of this is that, it, it really, if you want to make the most of every opportunity by living in God's wisdom, then you have to really pursue God in this area of life. The likely consequence of not is that we spend our days sort of like a dog chasing its tail. And what happens there is no longer is the peace and the prosperity and the future direction of God driving our days. What can happen is the the gods of urgency and reaction begin to drive our days. We no longer sort of hand time its agenda. Time hands us its agenda. And we follow, you know, in, in pursuit of it, hoping that at some point we will please it. And the truth is that you can't please time because time doesn't care about you. Time just happens. However, God does care about you. And that's why understanding his perspective of time is important. And so to sort this out, we begin our morning and the rest of these weeks over this month by asking a, a simple but foundational question. And when it comes to growing in Jesus, most of the questions are simple in nature, but profound and challenging in our application. I open with a simple question. Are you making the most of your time? Are you understanding your life right now, as Paul says in Ephesians 5? And I want to reread that to you, at least the section of it we'll be jumping into here momentarily. In Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, Paul says, be very careful then. There's a caution. Like when we think about time, he's saying, be mindful of the fact that there are some deep and cosmic principles that apply to it. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. And then he introduces this idea that the days can be very evil. They are evil. In some senses, there's, there's like a struggle, he's saying. There are things trying to pull us away from the wisdom of God, pull us away from the pursuit of Jesus. All of these things are unwise pursuits. But if we're mindful, if we're careful in how we live, then what happens is we can live in the wisdom of God when it comes to our time in particular, which is our emphasis. So I want to introduce a cultural opponent first. Contrary to popular modern belief, Making the most of your time is not a call to fill your life with never-ending activity, which is sort of what time management has become in our world. If you look at time and how people understand it, and all you have to do is Google this, go to Amazon and look at the books that have the most, uh, most profound reviews, they all revolve around this idea. Most of us have come to understand a teaching like this because we're parsing it through the lens of, of culture. We see it as a call to be more efficient with our time. So we can fit more stuff into our days. And I am one for productivity. So this is something that I I want you to know, neither the scripture nor am I saying like we should not be efficient and wise with the the way we use our time. That's important. I just want us to know, though, that if we start there by saying, how can I be more efficient? How can I, you know, squeeze more into my day? How can I how can I do more? And there might be times in life when we do need to do more. I'm going to be pretty blunt there. But before we figure out what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing, before we answer the question, what is efficiency with our time, we have to get to the heart of what Paul is trying to get us to understand here. 
Moving forward, Paul wants us to know dramatically that being efficient with our time is not what he's addressing here. It's not what he's getting us to embrace here. That's a byproduct of the root we're going to talk about. It's not a teaching on how to manage our external life schedules, although that's important. He's much more concerned with us first getting a clear sense of inner direction on how we use our time, how we determine what is an effective life schedule, what I would like to call our time priorities, right? Think about this in your own life. The things that matter to you most, your, you know, your finances, the people in your life, you sort of develop a priority structure around these things. And you say, it's really important that, you know, I want to retire when I'm 65 or whatever your goal is. Or I want to have an incredibly healthy family. So I'm going to make it a priority to, from my angle, to invest in my wife and my children. And we're all making these decisions about life, about priorities. And when it comes to time, it's important to know that the priorities of life have to be shaped by the direction of God. Otherwise, we will likely develop priorities in life that, at the very least, might not include God or might even be somewhat in opposition to the ways of God. And so this wisdom he speaks of in Ephesians is not just time management. It's a challenge to get us to the place where we learn how to to figure out what is first in life. I like to say, what are the first things that go first? What, what are the things we put first in life? What is, what's at the forefront of what matters most in life? And what this means is we clearly recognize what matters most, and then we start to live in accordance to those truths of first importance. And one of the foundational truths in Scripture, we actually literally believe this here and teach this here, the truth of first importance that defines all truth in life is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the foundation. His commentary on our lives, his, his uh, uh, approach to how he has created us and who he has made us, that is the truth that defines all truth. And so there's a, con- a contradiction, if you will, in the Christian faith when we sort of recognize that Jesus has redeemed us, but then we don't let him redeem our time because Jesus wants to redeem everything. You know, first and foremost, he redeems us on the cross. The penalty for sin is dealt with immediately. But then he spends the rest of his day sanctifying us, helping us to, on a daily basis, bring who we are to him so it becomes more like him. Time, in this case. So in the Christian faith, the way you make the most of your time, the way you make the most of every opportunity, is by making it a habit to regularly examine what it is you do. There is a bit of a Jesus-centered diagnostic necessary here. So this is a teaching that revolves around this instruction to be wise. Or more literally, I like to say, to redeem the time in your life. And walking this making the most of your time path, it is important. Because when we get on it, first it deeply honors God. We begin to function in the way that God has designed us. We begin to see time from his perspective. And what that does is not only does it honor God, but Scripture's clear. Much like what I said in the early part of January about vision in Proverbs, about how when we live unrestrained lives, lives disconnected from God, we're likely to drift. What happens here is not only does this honor God, which is super important, it also increases the quality of life God desires for us to have on earth. There's a direct benefit here. When time serves you, your life starts to get in order. And when your life is in order according to the ways of God, you start to flourish. That's the reason God put us on earth, to flourish in him, to live confidently and vibrantly in him. And so walking this path has a very positive consequence. Not walking this path will likely deceive you into thinking, and I say this sort of humbly but confidently, this is the spirit of our age. It will deceive you into thinking because you are always busy. 
you are always doing something, you are living a fruitful life. Now that it is, that's not to say that when you're busy, you're not fruitful. But I'm here to say that for a great many people, fruit, the synonym in their mind for fruit is constantly being busy. It's constantly doing something, thus being pulled into a million directions. So this teaching is really a call to walk in the wisdom of Jesus. And what Paul is saying is, is if you live in God's wisdom, you'll be wise with your time. That's the reality of this, is if you seek and consult the wisdom of God in all areas of life, what you'll find is that will rub off, it will seep, it will penetrate into your time. However, if we just try to fix time, if we try to remanage the calendar without Christ's wisdom, you likely will add to the problem. You'll just continue to jumble priorities and pursue things that may be fruitful for a season, but, but when you add up the moments of your life that create the whole of your life, we might wonder whether or not we spent those minutes fruitfully and effectively the way Jesus talks about here, or Paul talks about here. And so because wisdom is, is so foundational to this idea, I want to spend a few minutes talking about what wisdom is in the Bible. Because the only way you can understand how to walk in the wisdom of Jesus is by intimately knowing Jesus. And I want to kind of work with that tongue twister here for a moment. You've heard me say this before, and it's well worth noting again. That in most faiths, and by faiths I mean the structured ones, like the ones we have in the annals of religion, the world faiths, big and small, and in what I like to call non-religious wisdoms. These are the people in your life who maybe they don't believe in Christianity or they've erected their own sort of wisdom structure. In, in these worlds, what tends to happen is wisdom is a bit of a blurry set of semi-secret life teachings. You spend your whole life trying to find and then figure out. You find it, you figure out, and then you try to apply it. But the problem with a lot of these wisdoms is they're blurry in origin. But be better with your time. That's a good thing to do. Cool, how do I be better with my time? I don't know, be better with your time. Okay, what do I do to be better? I don't know, just be more efficient with your time. Blurry, right? We hear like efficiency and peace and time, but at the end of the day, we don't have the ability to actually bring that about in our lives. We're still in tow to time. They're semi-secret in the sense that, that people have ideas about how life should function, but actually getting to the idea can be very difficult at times, accomplishing the goal, if you will, in the wisdom. I've joked before, uh, particularly when it comes to a lot of the Eastern faiths in the world, their solution to this is that uh, in, in to, to become something that you want to be, like in this case, to be, to be more effective or efficient, more fruitful in your time, you have to empty your mind of time. That's what they would say. And you're like, I need another cup of coffee to process that, right? Empty your mind of time if you want to find it. What does that mean? I don't know. But I'm here to tell you that there's a better way when it comes to how Jesus speaks of time. In Christianity, we have to be mindful of a few things. And the first is that when we think of wisdom, wisdom is not just the accumulation of Bible knowledge, although scriptural knowledge is important. If that were the case, I would have just read Ephesians 5 to you and walked out of the room. I could have said, make the most of your time, be, be wise, right? That's a knowledge idea. It's an important one. It's a truth. But it's a knowledge idea that requires some application, some practical application, and it requires some, some additional support to make it happen. And that's why I say whatever principle it is we speak about in the Christian faith, we have to know that in its root, Christianity is not a principle-based religion where wisdom and maturity is based on just memorizing ideas. The problem with that is we can memorize the ideas but then not see them practically fleshed out in our lives. It's much more than just principle, although there are a great many of those in the Bible. It's much deeper than that. And we should be the type of people who thank God for it. 
that he hasn't just given us a blurry set of ideas to figure out on our own. He's actually given us really clear ideas. And what he wants us to do is have a deep experience with these ideas. He wants us to understand wisdom. He wants us to interact with the principles. He wants us to deeply know the commands in our hearts. Because when we start to imbibe this stuff, what happens is they lead us not to a blurry wisdom. They start to reveal somebody very important, his son. When you start to function in what God says about time and you start to look at the way Jesus lived his life, what happens is you're not migrating to blurriness. You're actually moving to this place where you see Jesus more clearly. And man, is there a ton of stuff in Scripture about how Jesus managed his time. It's pretty amazing. There are times when he walks away from masses to be with his father. We see this, this constant balance where he is robustly being poured into by his father and then pouring himself out regularly for the sake of people. That's a wisdom. That's a principle, you might say. But it's a principle that is much deeper than just a, a fact. And that's why I like to say when we speak of wisdom, it's important to know wisdom is more than just an idea or a truth or, or a good thing to live your life by. In Christianity, in Scripture, wisdom is personified. And what I mean by this is wisdom is never talked about as it being just a blurry set of principles or rules to live your life by. When it comes to Christianity, wisdom is found in a person. And good theology, good belief, it doesn't teach us Think about this. It doesn't just say God is a wise God, although he is. It doesn't just say that wisdom is something God possesses, although he does possess it. What it says is it's part of who he is. Wisdom is something that makes God God, much like we would say his love and his mercy and his grace and his justice. These are things God does, right? But they're also things that God, God is. They're his attributes, we like to say. He is the person of wisdom. And according to him, all wisdom is perfectly displayed and revealed to us in Jesus. There is no blur with that. Like you can go right to the Gospel of John and say, Jesus did this. Jesus lived like this. Jesus taught like this. There's no blurriness with that. Because God is not trying to confound us. He's not trying to confuse us. He's trying to make us more into the image of his son, Jesus. And that's why he's given us a clear image of Jesus by sending his son to the earth. And so you see how you understand this, this subtle distinction is incredibly important. If this is a message series about the principles of time, you will likely get something out of it. But it might, it might bring you to a place where you don't want to end up. It might bring you to this place where wisdom becomes an unattainable principle in your life. And in some senses, it becomes the Lord of your life. Be more efficient with your time. That's a Lord who speaks into you. And you can go read a million books on that and restructure your life around it. But you might do that at the expense of truly making and knowing Jesus himself the Lord of your life. And when he becomes the Lord of your life, what you'll find is whatever it is you're trying to grow in, when it is subjected to the goodness of Jesus, it'll change. When your, your time or attitude or emotion is subjected to him, when you hand him this stuff and let him work in, our, in your life like this, what happens is he starts to change those things. He will bring clarity to you. I love how Colossians 2 Two through three says this, speaking of wisdom in particular. Paul gives us this, this different perspective on it, sort of maybe even enhances what we just read in Ephesians. He says, my goal is that they, us, those following Jesus, may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. He's not saying blurriness here. 
Everything he's talking about here is moving us to clarity. And then he says, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, made known in Jesus the mystery, right? In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And what's interesting about this is he's, he's sort of highlighting a perception mystery. He's saying, for a great many people, these things are a mystery. Wisdom is a mystery. Knowledge is a mystery. But, but my goal in teaching God's word and sharing Christ with people and discipling them is that they would come to this place where they begin to completely understand these things, where the mystery is no longer a mystery, where the mystery is now a revealed reality because it is in Jesus. It doesn't just say it's in Jesus where there's wisdom. It says Jesus is wisdom. In him, wisdom is found. In him, treasures are found. He doesn't just hand you the book. He hands you himself. So we learn something important here that God gave us so much more than just wise teachings about life. That's what separates us from the rest of the world. Colossians says he gives us all wisdom in his Son, who not only imparts truth into our hearts, but then helps us to live it out in our life. And that's why I said earlier there's there's an immeasurable support here that we so often do not tap into if we just hear these as principles. Owning this truth in your heart is the difference between trying to tackle the battle for time or whatever else it is we're dealing with, with principles, methods, 10-step plans. I cannot tell you, I'm not against any or anything here. I'm not against 10-step plans, principles, or methods. But I am not exaggerating when I say probably by noon in my email inbox, I have anywhere from 15 to 20 emails a day from all kinds of organizations about three to seven things I can do to make life better in an area of my life. And I read this stuff and I'm like, Man, this is amazing. Like I just, the most cataclysmic problems in my life by noon after applying three and a half principles will be solved immediately. That's principle, right? The principles can be good, but it's at 12.05 when I'm still trying to figure out why the principles didn't stick. That's where, I, that's where there's something different. That's where there's something needed. And that's where this is the, the reason we're talking about this. This is where Jesus really shows his merit, shows his worth in our lives. You can get principles anywhere. But you can only get Jesus by going to God the Father, right? You can only get Jesus by going to Jesus. And when you go to Jesus, the power of his wisdom starts to be applied to your life. And simply put, the way you get Jesus' wisdom is by having a meaningful faith and relationship with Jesus. That's, it's, it's simple in nature. If you want to know the wisdom of Jesus, then you must know Jesus in whom all wisdom is. And so Paul is saying the normative rhythm in the Christian life is supposed to be that we walk in wisdom in every every area of life. And walking is an interesting word, which we're going to touch on here in a moment, but I, I want you to think about this. It's a very mundane description that we're using here about how to have wisdom in our lives. What he's saying here is that we literally apply the Jesus within us to every opportunity that is set before us, big and small. The Bible regularly uses this seemingly unimportant language of walking. And I've said this before. If you look at some of the most significant teachings about the pursuit of Jesus, they revolve around this idea of walking. And this is because walking, unlike sprinting or running marathons, is something that everybody can do. We're not against sprinting or marathons. But the point is that that requires an incredible amount of, of additional discipline to run a marathon or to walk to Red Robin. Red Robin, there's no discipline in that place. But the hamburgers, they are amazing, okay? Different type of discipline. Can I eat the bottomless fries until one? How do I get my fill there, right? That's what I'm going there for. 
It's a different philosophy, right? Walking simply, walking is not meant to denigrate any of these other ideas. It's meant to show that this, this sort of supernatural wisdom that Jesus wants us to have, it's sort of relegated to this incredibly common act that we do every day. And walking is observed by just about everybody in our lives. We will all do it when we leave this place. We will do it this week. We will do it in our homes. We will do it when we exercise. We will walk nonstop all week long. People see that when we're out with them. Think about that. Wisdom. God wants you to walk in wisdom in a way that people see wisdom in you. When you're going about your daily business, when you're trouncing around the office, when you're on the job site, when you're in your personal devotional time, whatever it is, what happens is God wants his wisdom to be so common in your life that it is just common in your life. No pun intended. It's an uncommon wisdom applied in a very common way. So walking is a normal part of life on earth. And spiritually speaking, the idea here is that the most common and uneventful areas of our lives, or we think of wisdom we're like, where do I get the job? Who am I going to marry? How will I change the world? All require wisdom. But those things are such mountaintop issues in our life. You know, you will probably calculate over 75 or 80 years, three to five times you had to figure out what job to get, right? But every day you will raise your children. Every day you will come in contact with people who do not know the Lord. Every day you will have somebody you care about that will ask you a, a simple question that what you answer might change their life forever. Every day the walking nature is where wisdom is really, really, really refined in our lives. This is the idea of making the most of every moment. It's not just taking our existence on earth and saying we'll have five to seven great, amazing moments, although we likely will, maybe even more than that. It's getting to the point where we see every moment as an amazing opportunity for God to work in life. Even when it comes to the big stuff, when it, whether what you're doing on Saturday afternoon or who you're marrying, right? God wants his wisdom applied to these areas. So whatever it is we should be doing, Whatever it is we're figuring out what we should do or how to do it, we should be applying God's wisdom as, as we do it. Now, I want to say something here kind of quickly. I want you to think about this. We're going to jump time for a moment and move into just general wisdoms. I'll be brief, but I want you to see that this, this application, it knows no boundary. Let's think about some of the areas this description of walking in wisdom can be applied to when it comes to our everyday lives. You know, when you think about your own life, when you think about your, your peer networks, your social circles, are people observing the fruit of Jesus in your life? And there's no condemnation here. I know a great many of you, and I know this is true. But I just want you to, I want you to ask yourself this. Do people see your life as fruitful, meaningful? Do they know you as a person who is sort of steeped in the grace of God, a person who is gentle, or at times maybe we're rash, a bit harsh? Certainly a great example of where wisdom is meant to dictate the day. When it comes to time, are you the type of person, this is very common in our world today, who's known for having like a million goals in life, but nobody really, wonder, or nobody really believes, or maybe they wonder if you'll ever get around to accomplishing one? Do you have a person in your life who's sort of chasing the stars but never grabbing one? A person maybe who can't keep a calendar, forget time, calendar, all these things, habitually late, this is so far into them that it looks like their life is defined in folly, right? Or on the other end of the spectrum, it's an interesting way to look at this. This is sort of where fruitfulness can actually be a problem. I know a great many people, too, on the other end of the spectrum who are just so stinking reliable. They're like the rock you go to in all matters. Beautiful, beautiful thing. But what happens is that rock over time gets sort of calcified into workaholism. So it's, it's like a time issue from the other end. Super reliable. But at that point, it's still something that if left unchecked, it can become a detriment to your pursuit of Jesus and the people that are in your life. 
And so to grow in wisdom like this in all areas of life means we have to commit to examining life. We have to sort of see wisdom, I like to say, as like a microscope. And what God wants to do in our life is he, he wants us to regularly take our lives and, and insert it under the microscope so that he can make some diagnoses and talk to us. And obviously, when I say the Lord's speaking to us, I also mean our community is important too. Because a lot of times the way these rhythms are picked up upon, sensed, is by other people who care about us. They'll say things like, you know, I've been looking at your life and I'm just really concerned right now. What this means is you're willing to take every thought captive. You're willing to let the weight of Jesus' wisdom inform how you live your life. You let his wisdom guide the decisions you make about the type of work you do, the people you spend time with, the way you serve God's kingdom here and his mission out there, the way you treat yourself, the way you treat others. God's wisdom needs to be applied into our relationships, even in the way we view ourselves. I've said before, sometimes we're too hard and too soft on ourselves. We need God's wisdom there. And it means when it comes to time, I like to ask this question. Whatever it is we're doing, uh, we want to ask before we do it, is this wise? And after you do anything in life, you want to ask the question, was that wise? And that's really how you make the most of every moment. We let God's scripture and the power of God's church community, the presence of his Holy Spirit, inform and when necessary, reform our time habits. Inform and reform. This is the way of life. Informed by the teachings of Jesus, reformed when he leads us to a new place. Here's how we'll begin to sort of draw to a close this morning. I have another idea I want to share with you, but I want you to hear this before we get to it. Sometimes when Jesus starts to work in our lives like this, especially when he begins working wisdom into us, it can be a little bit painful. Any of you have an experience like that? None of you? You're just like, I'm going to answer it because my hip's still bleeding right now. This is especially true when you think about your time, right? It's a personal commodity. I've said this here before. Americans like their time. We're really privatized with it in many ways. And so what happens is, is when Jesus, out of a deep care and concern for you, first points out something that needs to change in life, it can sting a little bit. And nobody wants to hear these things. You don't want to hear that we might be unwise in areas of our time. And it's fair to say if we're just going to level the playing ground, everybody has areas to grow with our time. Always. It's part of becoming more like Jesus. And so if we sort of say it's okay to say I've got room to grow, then it actually becomes okay to grow. Like, for example, uh, maybe you're changing the world in your job right now, but it's at the expense of your husband or your wife or your kids ever seeing you, right? That's a common one. Or maybe you are so enthralled in, uh, in family life or rearing children that uh, this is very true, too. I know my wife and I talk about this quite a bit. Sometimes you can just utterly find your identity in what your kids are doing. It's really challenging because we want our kids to be great, productive people on earth. But this blurry line can sort of, trump good work if we're not careful and so we we bring on these sort of insecurity complexes or we might get to a place where our we're living vicariously through our children and it's a bit of a challenge because we're no longer really pursuing jesus we're pursuing the best uh, efforts of our children those two things can coincide but they can also trump each other or maybe it's in an area of kingdom stewardship where where god is showing you he has a greater plan and purpose for your life and how you serve him in this place and in your natural spheres of influence. Maybe he's, he's leading you to a, a greater level of commitment. And what that does in one vein is it highlights places where we can grow in our commitment. And so when this happens, when God begins to apply his wisdom to this, these sensitive areas in our lives, it can really lead to some negative emotions. It can. We might feel wronged. We might get defensive with God. We might lawyer up and try to plead the case. You know, I'm actually, uh, I'm much more put together here than you know God. Let me just uh, show this perspective. I used some of my time today to prove to you why I'm better in this area. You know, we do all that stuff. 
And what we're doing is, is we're sort of resisting the good work of God in our lives. He's bringing something to our attention, not to, not to you know, make it hurt, but he's bringing something to our attention so it can be healed. And the thing with God is he's always right, and he always has our best interests at heart. And when we finally figure that out, when we start to wrestle with these, the usual emotional suspects that the weight of sin can bring to our lives, not living in a way that is wise is a form of sin. What happens is there can be negative emotions immediately. You feel bad, you feel sad, you might even feel guilty. That is the hard part. That's the stinging part. But if you stick it out with Jesus, what happens is God is faithful to show you, to show me that where we lack wisdom, when he says, here's where you lack wisdom, it feels like a knockdown. But he's just as faithful to pick us up and restore our wisdom and to bring us joy through it and to heal our wounds by bathing us in his grace. And so while it might sting at first, it is important to know. It's like when you get a, an inoculation or a needle, it might sting a little bit, but it is better for the overall health of your body. It might sting at first, but God's desire is to help us walk in wisdom. It's, it's a grace is really what it is because he wants us to grow in the mercies and love of Jesus in a deeper way. He wants us to be reformed into Jesus in these areas of life. So listen, when it comes to being wise with your time, God isn't particularly concerned with you growing in his wisdom by giving you stuff to do. And we're going to get to stuff here in a quick moment. He's much more concerned with you getting to know the person of wisdom, Jesus, more deeply. And if you do that first, I promise, being wise with your time will come more naturally. And when Jesus asks you to make changes in your calendar or your life, whatever it is, in light of his wisdom, you're going to find your heart is more inclined to obey, not resist. And that leads me to the second truth I want to share with you today. Much shorter than the first but no less significant. This is an idea we'll kind of bleed or blend into the rest of our, our month. One of the marks that you're walking in wisdom with your time is when you put the kingdom of God first in your life. This is how you can sort of know, if you want the greatest principle, if you will, the greatest gospel truth about time management, it begins with what we read in Matthew chapter 6, verses 33. Putting God's kingdom first in your life is the literal way Jesus describes learning to put the first things first in your life. It's sort of how you begin the priority structure. And he says this in Matthew 6, 33. It's a beautiful compliment to what Paul says. And there we learn in, in Matthew that the key to, be, to making the most of every moment in your life isn't becoming more efficient with your time. Modern misnomer. Rather, it's regularly asking God and the people you trust if you're using your time well and in such a way that it's honoring God. The priority has to be established first. Making the most of every opportunity is really a call to represent Jesus well in everything you do. And in doing so, you'll stay away from the two greatest time behaviors that I believe rob God of his honor and can wreck us on this earth. I have mentioned them before. One is the old idea of leisure-centered living, just working for the weekend, a mundane existence, or work-centered living, the idea of knowing nothing but work in your life to the point where you become a functional workaholic. God has a great deal to say about these things in the scripture. And the way I'd like to communicate this to you today is by showing you something I showed you four years ago, which I know you all remember. That's why I'm going to bring it up again today. It's a practical visual aid. This is sort of where our rubber meets the road. It's a visual aid that can help you assess how much wisdom in Jesus is in your time. What's going to be behind me is a modern-day image of the ancient truth I referenced earlier in Matthew 6.33. It gets us to this place where we can figure out where our priorities are in life. And what we're trying to do here is ask God to let his kingdom define the priorities of our life rather than letting our priorities define his kingdom. One is a pursuit of Jesus. The other is a pursuit of self. 
And you can be very fruitful in pursuing self. But if Christianity is where you're, where you're, what you're striving for, if knowing Jesus more deeply is what your desire is, then the priorities of God have to shape the daily deeds of life. We're trying to make God a priority, not fit our priorities into him. Now the image behind me is a time chart. This was developed and it hadn't changed much, changed much as far as the categories go. But what is interesting is what some of the categories, what the, the, the ancillary points under the category. So I, I had to re-up my research this week on this. I want you to just see this. This sort of represents life, a person's life. And while this is not a hard and fast number, these numbers are pretty researched and pretty accurate. And they signify the general places people spend their days, their time. So for example, if you look behind me, the biggest lump of change up there, about 89 hours or so, is what we would call like sleep. Obviously, I'm, I'm calculating this based on eight-hour days. So right away, 56 hours of your 168-hour week, are, it's sleeping, give or take a little bit. Some people might be a little more, a little less. And when I first developed this information, uh, lifestyle and play was actually a little less. But what's funny now is, you know, four years ago, I said maybe it was our hobbies that were sort of taking up some time, which are great. But I heard on NPR a couple of months ago that the average American right now, do you know how many hours a, hours a day of social media they consume? The average for the average American right now. Take a guess. A little less than six. Four hours. So four hours of our lives, we think, well, how can I get to 89 hours so quickly? How can I get 30-something hours tacked under 56? Well, I'll tell you, if we're watching two to four hours of Facebook and Instagram, that'll happen very quickly. Watching television, all these things, it adds up quickly. Our job, average person, 50 hours. For most of us today, it's probably more like 60. That's becoming pretty much the norm. That can ebb and flow, but that gives you a good gauge for that. Home life, okay, that's about 14 hours or so. And home life would be things like having supper with your family, working on your homework, uh, with your kids, whatever it is, you know, that takes up some time. And then you get into what I like to call church ministry and devotion. And these would sort of be like the, the, the refined ways we pursue God. And on average, the average person in America right now, if they have a faith, is contributing about five hours a week to it. And this includes maybe the time you spend here on a Sunday, if you're serving a little bit, uh, your devotional time. Think about that. Over seven days, about five hours of the week is, is sort of allotted to the things of God. And then lastly, because we live in a pretty diverse culture, there's a little 10-hour shot. Miscellaneous, whatever you do with your time that we don't know about. This is the general construct of a person's life. And you can see that there's a little black illumination around that five mark because I'm concerned about the things of God here, which will inform all these other things. In this worldview, the Christian reads Matthew 6.33, but then lives their life in the opposite way it commands. The engine driving what matters most in life oftentimes tends to be lifestyle effects. And so they get a job that, that supports the lifestyle. They move to an area. They've, they've developed their priorities, and these are all good priorities. Job, lifestyle, where you live, good stuff. But what happens is, is over time, it becomes the ultimate stuff. And then they, they start to reorient their whole life around that stuff so they can support their preferences, their lifestyle preferences. And if left unchecked, what happens is, a Christian, we begin to practice what I like to call leftover discipleship, which is essentially we get around to the things of God once all of our other really important stuff is in order. We squeeze a little bit of church going into the mix. We squeeze a little bit of Jesus into the mix. We squeeze a little bit of serving others into the mix. Life is highly compartmentalized here. Jesus is not integrated into life. He's sort of like a piece of life. It's what I like to call when I get around to it, style of following Jesus. And the bottom line in this is that the way you can know if you are living with this kind of heart attitude is by asking Jesus' wisdom, and this is a challenge for this week based on our scripture, is Jesus' wisdom shaping what you do with your lifestyle, job, home, church, money, ministry, fill in the blanks, etc. 
do you see Jesus in all of these things? Or are these just things you do and then Jesus is something else you do? Compartmentalized or integrated is the way that I like to say it. Is Jesus a piece of your life? Or is he, where we're going here, sort of the person forming your life? And this second chart reflects something very different. It reflects the life of a person seeking the kingdom of God first. It reflects a life that believes Jesus is not a segment of your life. Rather, he is sort of the shell-forming life. This is a very different way of living. And I guarantee you, whatever it is that we're dealing with, when Jesus becomes the, the shell you place your life into, when he becomes the person whom you invite to speak into all areas of life, when you want him weaved into the tapestry of your life, as opposed to being someone you give a piece of your life to, all this changes. All those numbers change. Those priorities, they're all still going to be there. They're not going away. We're going to talk about that at the end of the month. Your job isn't going away, and it shouldn't. God affirms hard work. He wants that. Your family isn't going away. God loves families. God wants you to have hobbies. That's not going away. I'm not saying this is bad. I'm just saying Jesus might reform some of it when we actually give him the permission to do so. And what happens is it always leads to growth and maturity in Christ because it starts creating clear life priorities rooted in wisdom because you start to understand what matters most. And the reason for this is simple. When the one who created your life now has the freedom to shape your life, I promise you he knows what is best for your life and mine because he, he's made them. That's why he needs to have that position in our life. And when that happens, hear this as we close. God's wisdom is going to remind you, here's where the imbalances can be sifted. He's going to remind us that maybe the responsibility to work, as important as it is, it can never happen at the expense of loving your family well. That can't happen. There is no success in God's eyes where, where we as, as men and women change the world and lose our families in the process. That's not God. God will remind us that lifestyle habits are important, but they're not the chief end of our existence. The cross means so much more. Loving him is the chief end of our existence. He won't permit us to see relationships in life. Our church family, those who are far from God in our lives, he will not permit us to see the church as a dying entity in the world, which is the way the world speaks of the church now. What we'll start to see is that it is God's redemptive grace in the world. It's not a leftover. It's the primary way he has chosen to work in the world. It's not a supplemental uh, nutrition. It is a main course in the diet of life. His wisdom shows us that Jesus is not meant to be compartmentalized. He's meant to be integrated, not isolated in everything we say and do, no matter how significant or insignificant that area of life may seem. And I'm telling you, Jesus works best oftentimes in the insignificant. He works best in the hidden areas of life. Maybe the lives, that, the areas where we don't become famous, but we are faithful to serve God. That is a life lived well. And so you see, it's not only unwise for the Christian to live by the first time chart. What I would say here is, if you hear anything this morning based on the truth of the gospel we've spoken of, hear this. If we live by the first chart, it is likely going to compound our time woes because our expectation and understanding of who we are and what we should do is likely going to be shaped by the immediate demands and expectations of everything around us. In that scenario, life develops its plans and hands them to you and you pursue it. Living by the first time chart is really just an attempt to make the most of our time based on our own wisdom. But there's a problem with that if we are in Jesus. The second time chart actually invites God into the process, and it allows him to work Jesus's wisdom into every area of our lives. This is a place where I truly believe we can quench God's spirit. We can so resist him in this that he'll just move on. 
It shows us that we understand that to make the most of every opportunity in life, we must walk in Christ's wisdom in every area of life. And there's no idealism in that. This is a lifelong pursuit. But the pursuit begins by bringing these things to God and the people we trust and asking for input and guidance. To determine which pie is yours, here's your action step this week. I want you to reflect on these ideas first during response. We'll be out of here in less than 10 minutes. But I want you to think about this during our response time. Pray, process, and reflect on these ideas. And really meditate in Jesus' wisdom and ask God to show you which kingdom it is you're seeking this morning. Ask him to show you which chart you're living by. And I want you this week to really, there's one verse I'd like to call your attention to, I, I guess two verses. I want you to take what we've talked about today. You can listen to this online. You can process it in your community groups. If you're not in a community group, reread over and over Ephesians 5 this week, those verses, and ask God to bring life to these words. You have a couple of minutes to do this now, but I pray you'll meditate on this for the rest of the week. And as you think and pray on this over these next weeks, when it comes to your time priorities, which is really the foundation of this, how is it that we ask God to establish our time priorities? No, no matter where we find ourselves, God is a good God and a God full of grace. He wants us to not feel this as sting. He wants us to feel this as mercy, as, as growth. So ask God honestly. Ask Jesus, what is he saying to you about wisdom and his time? And what is it you will do as you leave this place today?